0: Welcome everyone to On Call with Insignia, where we go on call with Southeast Asia's emerging technology startup leaders and investors. Today joining us on call from Singapore is Ernest Chu, Chief Financial Officer at Cairo Group, the largest and leading automobile marketplace in Southeast Asia. So I'm really excited today because Ernest is the first CFO on our show, and I'm really interested to know more about what tech startups look like from the CFO perspective. So I'm really glad to have him on the show. Welcome to the show, Ernest. How has 2020 been so far for you?
1: Hi Paolo, thank you for the invitation. How is 2020? In one word, extraordinary. I joined Carol early this year. It's been a roller coaster journey full of challenges but accelerating.
0: Yeah, I'm really glad that 2020 has been a year of new beginnings for you, and it has certainly been a year of change for all of us. And before I move on to the story behind how Ernest joined Cairo early this year, let me share more about his background. Before joining Cairo, he spent more than a decade working at HSBC, where he rose through the ranks to become head of the capital goods and automotive investment in Asia Pacific. He received his bachelor's from the University of Nottingham and his master's in engineering from Cambridge University. He now brings his broad experience in capital raising, financing, and M&A advisory to Cairo. And that's exactly what we're gonna talk about today, how he brings his broad experience from banking and investments to scaling a tech company and what it looks like from his perspective as a CFO. So first things first, I'm sure listeners would be interested to know how you made the jump from investment banking executive at HSBC to startup CFO at Cairo. What's the story behind the transition?
1: It had been a great 14, 15 years in investment banking. It's grueling, but a great experience. For many investment bankers, it's a lifetime where burnouts are quite common. I have learned as much as I could in banking, frankly. I've worked in three financial centers across three continents, Hong Kong, London, New York. i worked on landmark, complicated, and cross-border deals worth billions of dollars. I've rebuilt the Asian team at HSBC. Along the way, I've met incredible and very inspirational people But I was far from burning out. In fact, I was full of energy and I wanted the next chapter to be even more exciting. I wanted to meaningfully contribute to building something with a strong growth, something future-proof and tech-related. At the same time, leverages on my strategic automotive banking and capital raising experience. Ideally, but not as important, was going back to Southeast Asia where I'm originally from. So when I came across Carol, this reminded me of an advisory mandate for a private equity firm in their acquisition of a Western used car auctions business. I watched that business since grow five to six times to a £2 billion business over a decade, despite it being in a mature geography. So the opportunity was a perfect match with Carol. First, tech and strong circular growth. Second, the role leverages on my experience. Third, going back to Southeast Asia in itself, a vibrant region with strong growth markets.
0: Yeah, I think it's really inspiring that even after you mentioned like a lot of your peers would experience burnout after decades of working in the space, but then you still felt really energized to find new challenges right from a professional standpoint and also even from an industry standpoint, looking at what are the opportunities in the automotive space. And it's interesting how the insights you've gained from working, as you mentioned, working across three continents the past decade has helped actually inform your decision to eventually transition your career to Cairo. So taking from this experience, what would you advise other finance professionals coming from big banks? or MNCs who are thinking about transitioning to a startup environment?
1: So I had, over the course of my work, dealt with larger startups. Also during my garden period, I read a lot of books about startups. I spoke to friends from the startup. What's a big deal, right? But all I'll say is nothing could prepare you fully for the startup experience. Firstly, there's the size. I was part of a giant banking corporation. I was used to dealing with much larger businesses and deals. Startups, a lot smaller in many sense. In one instance, I had a coffee with an ex-colleague who is now country head of banking. When I probed on their lending appetite, she asked if I was missing a couple of zeros. We, We had a good laugh over coffee and we remained friends. As a CFO, I would query about $1,000, $2,000 costs here and there, but back in banking, this is frankly a tiny fraction of travel expense for bankers. Second, growth in a startup. In a big MMC, when people talk about growth, attractive growth means double-digit percentage, year-on-year growth. A few hundred percent growth, it's pretty much unheard of. Given our size, Harold doubling or tripling in revenue is actually quite feasible with the right planning and team. Now, on a third point, the speed of communication and decision-making. At big MNCs, decisions take quite a bit of time, plenty of analysis, sometimes quite complex and complicated, then plenty of discussions with many stakeholders across the globe and across many businesses. Even one senior hire will take weeks if not months. At Carol, discussions are done with one of very small group of relevant people. Now, whilst in the past, blackberries kept me hooked to my work. Now we communicate via WhatsApp at Carol, and the response generally are very quick. We are very nimble. Decisions are made almost instantly. In fact, I come to learn at Carol that a bad decision is better than no decision at all frankly mm. a complete 180 right. degree turn compared to corporate who tends to want to perfect the plan before deciding on something then the fourth point it's culture of experimentation to innovate we need to experiment and learn even a bad decision will give valuable lessons the fear of standing still at a startup is greater than failure the great peter tale Once asked a contrarian question, what important truth do very few people agree with you on? Now, despite the fact that cars have been transacted in a certain way for decades, the truth here is there are plenty of pain points for both consumers and dealers. So we challenge ourselves every day to make the car purchasing experience better, faster and safer.
0: Thanks for really outlining the differences from your experience in in MNCs and bigger companies compared to startups. And I think this is something that draws parallels to previous episode that we had with Manisha, who's CMO at Caro and a colleague. So speaking of new beginnings, let's go back to your first day at Caro. Where was Caro at in terms of its finances when you came in as CFO vis-a-vis today? Were you faced with any significant challenges to overcome or opportunities to unlock?
1: significant challenges, but really because almost immediately after I joined, there were the COVID-19 lockdowns across all our countries. Of course, there were fleeting thoughts whether I had joined the startup at an awful time. Could this lockdown last for a year or longer? And more crucially, will we run out of cash? So even during the global financial crisis almost a decade plus ago, the economies did not come to a grinding halt. So it was a rather unprecedented period. I lean back on what I've learned from the GFC, from businesses that failed because they ran out of cash. And from the used car auction business, which we advised our PE client to purchase in the midst of an economic crisis. We looked at our toolkit. A few things that we did did immediately, we went to conserve cash. Slash all expenditures and cash up. Very meticulously went through expenses line by line. We cut down marketing immediately. We looked at payrolls. We monitored our cash position very closely. And we looked at monetizing inventory as well. We went to banks to borrow, even though we didn't meet to yet at that point. We were In terms of finances, we were okay. We were barely profitable, but we had to pull the handbrake and jam the brakes immediately or risk even more potential losses. Now, on hindsight, I think we were a bit too conservative coming out of the lockdown. We lost a bit of momentum, but we were okay. More importantly, we were not swimming naked. We had okay fundamentals. Most importantly, we had cash, and we were not over-levered. The bad times can bring out the best in people we switched to survival mode in those crucial months we have a great team who worked very collaboratively together we looked at our opportunities our processes we looked at switching gears and we positioned ourselves coming out of this for example we talked about opportunities in periods of economic uncertainties now you throw in the pandemic How do we make used car purchases safer, faster, and the natural economical choice? The other opportunity was our subscription business, which really appeals because there is no long-term commitment, no residual value risk, but addresses the population segment who needs a car for basic needs and do not want to take public transportation given the pandemic.
0: Yeah, I really think that all these initiatives that you've taken from, as you mentioned, slashing expenditures, cashing up, and even rethinking how you look at the core business of Cairo, which is really the used car purchases. I think all of these things that you've set in place, along with the rest of uh, Cairo's leadership, has been paying off, and the company has been EBITDA positive for the past eight to nine months, which is uh, almost since the lockdown started in Asia. Was this trajectory planned out? What were the factors that enabled Cairo to sustain this balance sheet?
1: To our CEO, co-founders, and senior management credit, we had always planned our businesses to be profitable or have a path to becoming profitable. We used the lockdown to seriously look at our OPEX, our fats, and ways to improve our efficiencies. We came out of the lockdown leaner and meaner. In fact, our cash position did not deplete during the lockdown and we were free cash flow positive.
0: Right. And speaking of cash flow position, another interesting development in Cairo's capital raising journey is that it recently also raised $110 US million in debt financing. So what was the thought process behind pursuing debt financing at this point in its growth as a company and given in the current market environment? And I'm sure founders would be interested to know, since this has been a topic that's been discussed a lot, especially over the pandemic, what advice would you have for founders who are looking to raise capital this way?
1: Debt financing is actually a very important source of liquidity, plus a much cheaper form of capital than equity. We have a lot of assets going into the lockdown whether in the form of financing receivables or vehicles that can be asset-backed. We didn't want a gun to our head and certainly be forced then to fundraise at unattractive valuation at, frankly, the wrong time. From a signalling perspective as well, the ability for a startup to secure close to 150 million SING dollars debt financing facility really demonstrate a strong conviction from banks who are generally very conservative backing startups. So in a nutshell, I think that is important to think about that. But my advice is to raise that. It's important to have high quality assets as collateral and think about being profitable amongst other factors as well.
0: Right. Yeah. I think it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way that you have to have the profitability. To then raise that debt, which then signals that trust and conviction from more conservative investors. And in an earlier answer, you mentioned about how to navigate this period of uncertainty. Leadership had to rethink how to deliver the used car offering in a COVID era, right? And mm-hmm. you know, accompanying that, you also mentioned in a previous interview that the used car business is counter-cyclical in the sense that the downturn has converted what would have been new car purchases into more short-term used car purchases, So how do you see this trend reverting, if at all? Because, for example, in the U.S., we've seen how this trend of higher used car purchases has boosted the growth of a lot of comparables to Carro, right? Like Carvana, CarMax. Do you see this trend lasting beyond COVID? And how would economic recovery impact this used car market in Southeast Asia in particular?
1: No, I do not see this reversing. There are at least two major factors in our favor. Firstly, there's plenty of structural growth in used car industry in Southeast Asia. Car penetration, as well as used car to new car ratio, is still low. In mature markets, the used car to new car ratio is about two to three times. In Southeast Asia, we are about one or less in most countries. Secondly, increasing penetration of e-commerce and digitalization, including for car purchasing. Carol is one of very few groups with tech in our DNA. We are not just building a marketplace platform and an ecosystem, but incorporating big data, AI, and machine learning in our processes. This will enable us to deliver superior customer experience. So in short, we believe the pandemic and economic crisis accelerates the growing acceptance of used car and trading of used cars via e-commerce and digitalization.
0: Right, and I think it's a really good sign for the business because a lot of change has been happening because of the pandemic, but we're not really sure if that is going to last. But from your perspective, at least this growing acceptance of used cars will last beyond the pandemic itself. And aside from being a marketplace for used cars, Cairo has also had a lot of different business lines. So you have Genie Financing and B2B Business, right? So we're seeing a lot of similar tech platforms that initially started out in low margin businesses find a path to profitability by flywheeling, quote unquote, into adjacencies. So as a CFO, how would you advise founders to think about this kind of growth trajectory, this kind of ecosystem building, so to speak, how would you advise founders to think about that so that it is cost efficient and effectively widens margins for the business?
1: You're absolutely correct. So the way we think about our marketplace is like the Alibaba for Southeast Asia, for cars. Then you build the verticals around that to monetize and increase the profitability of the business. The adjacencies need to fit into the ecosystem, capture more profits, and a natural organic expansion that give customers a seamless experience.
0: Right. And getting into this kind of growth trajectory often involves risk, especially if you're doing it at a really fast pace. And this risk comes along with spending a lot on marketing, growing the team, hiring, product launching. So how do you balance this risk from a financial perspective while at the same time being prudent with spending? At
1: Carroll, and quite differently to large corporate and large MNCs, as I alluded to, experiment, Our small experiments are very encouraged. These experiments don't cost a lot of money, but we can learn and innovate. Then a larger incremental budget to support the product growth. Essentially, the culture we have is you need to try and learn something out of these small experiments without deploying huge amount of capital. So the risk of failures are generally lower.
0: Right. I think it's a really important point that you brought up about having that culture to really engage in these kinds of low-cost, small experimentation. So I really think having that culture at Cairo has really benefited how the company has grown over the years. And it's been mentioned that Cairo is projected to reach a billion-dollar run rate by 2022. From the CFO perspective, where is Cairo on that journey? And what are the opportunities that you're looking forward to taking to reach that goal perhaps even faster than expected?
1: So the short answer is we are well on track for that growth. In September, we had a 500% year-on-year growth in terms of revenues. The momentum continues to be very strong. The October revenues are at record level. The gross profit level is at record levels. And we expect to continue that trajectory. We believe as well when... We deploy even more resource into countries like Indonesia and Thailand. Given the total addressable market, we believe that 1 billion is easily achievable within the next two years plus or so.
0: Right. And how will this affect how Cara is looking at its own exit options?
1: I think all cards are on the table. We are certainly looking at both IPO. Or M and A exits, but frankly, it's too early to engage that kind of conversation. Except whatever path we get to, we need the business to be in solid shape. We need the numbers to validate that growth, and more importantly, there's growth potential still in the business because of the positioning and the strategy that the business has embarked on. Crucially. You have a team that can deliver all these things.
0: Right. It really boils down to the fundamentals of the business. And regardless of what path you're going to take in terms of an exit or staying private, really looking forward to Cairo's growth in the next three to five years. And to wrap up our conversation, we always ask our guests to join us for a rapid fire question round, sort of like a fun corner in our interview that's been pretty serious. right? So just short answers, one-liners, no need to elaborate, but if you feel like doing that, go ahead. right? So first question, what are for you the top three skills that CFOs should have?
1: I think a CFO is not just a chief financial officer. A great CFO, in my view, is a chief future officer. In that context, the top three skills, I think, are be strategic. You see the big picture. You link finance with the strategy, operations, tech, and even recruitment. You complement the organic and M&A growth. Second, forward-looking. Focus on growth, not just historical numbers. With a common sense approach to growth and risk planning. Third, Create a financial culture and discipline, solid financial skills to create a methodical culture around analysis, interpretation, and tracking of numbers and metrics. Suffice to say, you need to bring the company and the people to become even stronger. So this is not about one CFO dragging the card. It's actually the entire team playing its part and the CFO helping to guide that ship.
0: And then who is a CFO or a leader that you look up into your career?
1: There's someone I felt, he's not a CFO, but Mm. I think he's a great leader, Barack Obama. He shows that each and every one of us, that ordinary people can do extraordinary things. And the future rewards those who press us on. In my sense, this is very relevant even to corporate.
0: Right, right. And I think this really ties into what you said earlier about CFOs also being chief future officers as well. Earlier, you mentioned about reading a lot of books during your garden period. What is one book that you would recommend for CFOs or fellow finance or investment professionals?
1: So I have one which is not exactly a CFO book, strictly speaking. Peter Thiel's Mm -hmm. Zero to One. For me, that's a real introduction to finance professionals moving from a big corporate to a smaller startup and how to operate nimbly within that environment.
0: Right. What was one takeaway from that book that resonated specifically with you? Experiments then challenge
1: things that has been in existence for a long time. Just because it's been done for such a long time doesn't mean that it's the right way of doing it. Doesn't mean. there's no way to innovate and become better and there's plenty of examples how companies differentiate and become better the other thing i'll say is it's not always the first to market that dominates an industry sometimes it's better Mm -hmm. to be slightly behind but learn all the mistakes that your predecessors or competitors have done then dominate the industry. A startup needs to be contrarian.
0: If you had a chance to travel anywhere in Southeast Asia today, especially since we've spent most of the year at home, I would presume, (laughs) where did you go?
1: I tend to like to go to new frontier places. So things relatively uncommercialized, historical villages or diving at unexplored islands in Indonesia. Indonesia is always a great place or Mm -hmm. even the old temples of Bagan, Myanmar, Cambodia. I think these are places where You forget about the modern world, the stresses and the hecticness that come with it. And you embrace the old way of doing things.
0: I guess a very contrarian answer (laughs) Uh, for (laughs) someone who's working at a tech company. And to wrap this section up, is there anything you'd like to plug or announce on our show?
1: It is not so much of announcement anymore, but really we are hiring massively. Now we are aware that there are talents in the market, folks that are displaced through no fault of theirs, extremely talented folks who want to find a new home, please talk to us.
0: Where would be the best way to reach out to you guys?
1: Any one of us, we are very happy to make the introductions or the necessary connections to get that through.
0: All right, yeah. So for our listeners, I'll link Ernest's LinkedIn in the description and transcript in case you guys want to reach out and explore career professional opportunities at Caro. So thank you again, Ernest, for spending your time here on call with us today. A lot of practical advice, interesting stories as well, coming from uh, your banking mm-hmm. experience uh, leading into a startup and also some contrarian insights into what it really takes to scale a startup, especially during this time from a financial perspective. So I hope our listeners picked up a lot of these things from our conversation and looking forward to what Car has in store for the next five years.
1: Thank you. It's a real pleasure. And thank you again for the invitation.
0: Stay on the line with us for more conversations with our founders and investors in the region. Until your next call, I am Paolo Oquinha, and this has been On Call with Insignia Ventures.